So this morning, we continue our series called Fear Slash Faith, and we're going to look at a story from the book of Acts, chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 10, reading through verse 19. It reads like this. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So yesterday morning, Gretchen was reading to me from this book that she's reading and has all these kind of crazy facts, these um, stories from history. Is it a book club book? No. Anyways, uh, we're just going to have a conversation this morning. It, it, Anyways, it's got all these historical facts, like these mundane things that happened that kind of changed the course of history. And one of the ones she told me about was, did you know that the Eiffel Tower was supposed to actually be torn down? Right? So it was put up for some big, um, not the World's Fair, but some other big expo back in the late 1800s. And it was supposed to be torn down in 1910. Now, Gustav uh, Eiffel, the guy who built it, didn't want it torn down. So he figured out a way to keep it, which was to put a radio antenna on the top. And over the years before 1910, that radio tower became very important because it, it was able to reach over 6,000 kilometers. And it became important for the defenses of France, right? For the military to communicate. And so the Eiffel Tower stayed. Interesting, right? Now, why am I telling you that story? What does that have to do with anything? Well, what strikes me about that story and some of the other ones that she shared with me is that oftentimes... Amazing things hinge on mundane decisions. And I think in the spiritual life, in our spiritual journeys, in discipleship, oftentimes as we read the story 
of God and his people, uh, uh, God's movement, God's kingdom is moved forward by simple obedience. And this morning's story is an example of that, right? So you have two guys who are praying, Saul and Ananias, and they both hear God, and they both um, obey, right? Well, Paul doesn't, or Saul at this point, doesn't really have a choice to obey because God appeared to him on the road to Damascus and took his sight and, and just appeared to him in such an amazing way, right, that he was um, incapacitated. And so he ends up praying but, and being told that this man Ananias will come and lay hands on him. And Ananias's obedience is used by God because from that moment, Saul becomes Paul, who becomes the great evangelist, who moves the kingdom of God. God moves the kingdom of God forward through him, right? So I want to look at this story a little bit this morning and think about how this works and where fear and faith play into this. So the text tells us that Ananias is praying and God very clearly says to him, I want you to go to the street called Straight to Judas's house and I want you to lay hands on this guy named Saul. And then there is that great phrase that we hear in so many different Bible stories where the hero or the main character says, but Lord, <laughs> like, do you remember, do you know, why are you asking me to do this? But Lord, this is the chief persecutor of the church. This is the guy who is persecuting your people. And God says, yeah, I know, go. Now, it's interesting because as I was studying this, one of the commentaries pointed to what, what the, the, this particular commentator called the absurd, the absurd commands of Scripture. And I think maybe there's a sermon series in here, but um, the absurd commands in Scripture, and he names some of them, right? So just a, a chapter or two before, a chapter before this, you'll remember that there's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? And, and God appears to Philip and says, um, go to the desert road. Right? Well, why would, you, why would I go to the desert road? The desert road is in the desert. There's nothing there. But he obeys and, and uh, baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch who brings then the kingdom to Ethiopia. Moses, in Exodus 14, is told to hold his staff over the water. And the Red Sea parts, right? In Exodus 14. Elijah in 1 Kings uh, follow, uh, follows the directions that God gives him and is fed by ravens. I mean, just kind of crazy, right? And then there's the, uh, Elisha who uh, tells Naaman, yeah, go wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman's cured of his leprosy. So it's these, this these absurd commands that God gives, like they make no sense. So when God appears to Ananias and says, go and lay hands on this guy named Saul, it's in line with the way that God operates, 
right? We see this over and over again in Scripture. God asking people to do things that seem to go against good reason. And we know that Ananias had good reason to be skeptical, to be cautious, even to be fearful of what God is asking him to do. Because Saul has come, not just on his own, but like with the backing of the chief priests. He means business. He fully intends to bring the, the operation that he had against the church in Jerusalem to Damascus. And so for God to say to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. That's a big shift. And it requires a great deal of faith to lean into that command and obey it. But Ananias does. Ananias goes, he lays hands on Saul, scales fall from his eyes, and then the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, right? But I want you to notice some things as we go through this text. The first is in this in these verses 15 and 16, there are three shifts that happen here that are important. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So three shifts that happen in these two verses. The first shift is Paul goes from persecutor to chosen instrument. That's a big shift. Paul goes from being absolutely certain, we'll come back to this, absolutely certain that he is doing God's work. Right? He knows. He's got the backing of the, of the establishment. The chief, the chief priests have signed off on the work that he's doing. But God moves him from persecutor to chosen instrument. He goes from persecuting the church to being its primary voice. It's primary evangelist. The second shift is from Israel only to the Gentiles and their kings. And then the third shift is from prominence to suffering. Paul's role as chief persecutor no doubt brought some prominence. But now God is saying, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul, in the midst of this story, or Saul, experiences these shifts, and, you, and I have to imagine that there must have been some disorientation for him as well, right? I mean, imagine this. Saul is absolutely sure, absolutely sure that he's reading it right, that this sect these Christians have to, be, have to be flushed out. They've got to, we've got to get them out of here because they are harming God's people. There's no question in Saul's mind that he's absolutely right. But God shows, Jesus, the risen Christ, shows up on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden Paul's world is turned upside down and he has gone from absolutely, absolutely certain of one thing to absolutely certain of the exact opposite. That's a pretty remarkable shift. 
Now, Luke in Acts doesn't go into any of this. And really, in Paul's letters, we don't get a lot of sense of what that might have been like. But I can only imagine that it took some getting used to. That Saul didn't just step into this full-fledged and like never, you know, never had to do some reorientation. Right? It's an interesting thing. But Ananias is sure of some things too. So we know very little about Ananias. We know that he was a God-fearing Jew. We know that he was well-respected. We know that he was a Christian. And we know that he was the one that God used to welcome Saul into the, into the way, into the church. Now imagine this. Imagine the people group Imagine the type of person that just, you just can't, you can't get there. You know, I mean, we know we're supposed to love everybody, I know. (laughs) But I also know that we all have somebody or somebodies who we have a hard time with. That we're sure we're right about who they are and what they've done and how it's supposed to be. Now imagine that God says to you, go and call them brother or sister. And that's exactly what Ananias does. Ananias knows exactly who God is sending him to. He knows exactly that this is the guy who's killing Christians. And he goes and he lays hands on him and he says, brother Saul. He obeys. I imagine that took some reorientation. I mean, sometimes I wish they told the story differently and we got a little more inner monologue, you know what I'm saying? It's like, imagine, I I can imagine, at least for me, and you know, our personalities show up in this stuff, right? But I imagine Ananias walking maybe kind of slowly towards Straight Street, muttering under his breath, wondering what in the world is God getting me into? Why am I doing this? This guy is dangerous. How am I going to do this? How am I going to explain this to everybody else? Blah, 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 right? But in spite of all that, he goes, he lays his hands on Saul and calls him brother. Another way of thinking about this is that fear is overcome by obedient faith. And when I say obedient faith, I don't mean blind faith. I don't mean faith that never asks any questions because we just heard Ananias ask the question, right? He hears God very clearly. Go and pray for this guy named Saul. And Ananias doesn't respond with blind faith. He responds with, but Lord, do you know who this guy is? Obedient faith is not faith that doesn't question. Obedient faith is, that, is faith that questions, that lives in that tension, but still obeys the call. So it's not so much that there is no fear. It's more that the faith overrules it. 
And you move forward with that tension, with those questions. I don't know how God is going to do this. I don't know what's going to happen here. But I know this much. I know that I'm supposed to do this step. And so I'm going to take this step and let God sort the rest out afterwards. I don't think Ananias' misgivings just disappeared. But he went and did what the Lord commanded him to do. So it occurred to me as I was reflecting on this text this week that perhaps you identify this morning with one or the other of these men. Maybe this morning you come identifying with Saul. You were very sure of what God said before, but now God is telling you and calling you to go to some, to do something that's very different than what you understood. Maybe you, like Saul, have experienced uh, the risen Christ in such a way that it's calling you to do something new in and through, through you, challenging your deeply held beliefs, causing you to uh, go to those people who before you treated as outcasts or enemies. Because that's what happened to Saul. Or maybe this morning, well, and maybe as you identify with Saul, maybe there's a sense that how could God ever use me because of what I did before? Right? And I've always found hope in that if God can use someone like Saul and turn him into Paul, that God can literally use anybody. Or perhaps you identify this morning with Ananias. You sense the Spirit calling you to reach out to someone who you have understood as an enemy or someone to fear. The only question then is, will you go to the street called straight and offer what the Spirit is telling you to offer? Will you exercise that simple obedience even though you have misgivings? And then the big question is, well, how do you know the difference and I think the key is in the description of, both of the, what both of these men were doing when this happened. Did you catch it? Saul was in prayer, and God told him that a man named Ananias would come. Ananias was in prayer, and God appeared to him in a vision and said, go to this man named Saul. If you find yourself this morning identifying with either of these men and you wonder what the Spirit is up to in your life, I encourage you to pray, to seek God's direction. Ask God to show you. And then obey. Because I know that the sense is, is that sometimes we think, well, God doesn't speak to me that way. And yet we all know I think what that still small voice sounds like, what that nudge feels like, that sense of 
You should send a note to this person. You should call this person. You should reach out, right? So pray, seek God's direction, and then exercise that obedient faith and just see what God might do. Amen.